you know, it's, it's great being on with a legend like Jim Taylor. Man, and, and then Ty's here too. Jay, right. yeah. <laughs> He's the legend in training. Oh, I don't know about that. Stock, Stock, uh, Ty Taylor's a big fan of yours. I am. I am a huge fan. Thank you. You do a great job up on the, on the radio. Last year, Thanks. I, I listened to you during the basketball, and you did an excellent job. Oh, thank you very much. It means a lot coming from you, for sure. Stock, do you have like a do you have a Ty Taylor uh, game that stands out when he was competing for Mercer County? Well, Probably not really. I didn't see him play. Uh, you know, I was you know here and not, not there, but I'm sure he's uh, got a uh, treasure trove of great games. Yeah. Didn't you hold, hold on? Because <laughs> my, my 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 treasure trove is like that because I hardly ever played. Okay. <laughs> okay. Jim, you'll, I'm sure you'll remember, wasn't there a game, Ty, didn't you hit like a game-winning three or you've hit a bunch of threes at like Rova or something? Am I remembering this right? Yeah, it, that was in the conference tournament Yeah, against, against Rova at Rova, yeah. Well, Here we go. I, I think I was well, there at the beginning of the game. And well, then I there was like, he's still like a kind of a, aren't you a quasi-record holder at the Erie Provostown? I think Eerie, I'm, yeah. Lorcan's Cardinal Classic for like top five threes made in the game. Yeah, they have they have they have like a record in the program, and I think I'm still in there. Maybe I'll have to look when I go. I'll give six three to, to Winkler. Yeah. yeah, Stock probably know. has it in some note cards in his briefcase. He can check later. Yeah, I so. know. I wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do remember seeing his name um, on one of the programs uh, there a couple of years ago with uh, him being one of the top uh, three point shooters. There we go. There we go. Well, hey, we're already we're already up and rolling here. That's how the instant reacts goes. We just we just start recording and here we are. We the instant reacts podcast for week seven. We got Mitch Stormer in the house. We got Brian Stocking in the house, and we got we got the boys from the mean streets of Alito, WRMJ, the downtown studios, Jim Taylor, Ty Taylor. They were on the call tonight for two great games that we'll get into. So, uh, Jim, it's your first time on the uh, View from the West. Thanks for being here. Hey, it's an honor. It's great. What an esteemed cast of characters on this thing. Holy smokes, man. <laughs> cast of characters is for sure. We'll we'll get to other ways to describe us as the show goes, I suppose. But uh, Ty, you saw a great game tonight. So uh, welcome into the Instant Reacts. I can't wait to pick your brain on this one. Yeah, thanks. I said to my dad when he pulled up back to the, I beat him back here somehow, even though the game I did got done like an hour and a half after the game he did. But I told him, I'm like, what a great night for us to be on. We had two really fun games we both were at. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. I could not, yeah, could not have drawn it up any better. Stock, you were in the command module at WQAD. How'd things, how'd things roll on your end? had an amazing night keeping track of the upset at, at the Soul Bowl. I don't think very few people saw it coming. We had another upset down in Galesburg, a tremendous back and forth game at Quincy. I mean, I mean, up in Sterling, between Quincy and Sterling. I mean, it was one of those nights where at the beginning of the week, Steve Susie said, there's no really big games this week. You know, it's sort of a dull week. And this week turned into just a wild menagerie of upsets, great games. I mean, the, the two Taylors saw uh, maybe two of the more wilder endings of the season. I mean, it was just a wild night. Uh, did anyone use the phrase wild menagerie tonight, or is that just stock? I didn't. 
I, I didn't. Can I can I say something about UT? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so UT for me now, and I'm a, I'm an Alleman grad, but UT now is my favorite school in the Western Big Six because they have a former Sherrard coach and Ryan Welch as their head football coach and Andy Say, who will always be a Rockridge Rocket to me as the head basketball coach of UT. So I say I'm all in for the Panthers, and then I know this is instant reacts. And then I can't wait till the Alleman Pioneers wind up in the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Our, that, that's that's a podcast for down the road for sure. Mitch, how's things? How's things for you? You were you're covering everything on Twitter, of course. Uh, some wild finishes. You were on top of all of it. Yeah, they, they kind of started to stack up there towards the end. Uh, Rockbridge Morrison was getting done late, and then that bled into Sherrard Orion, which bled into Quincy and Sterling. So, yeah, it was it was really kind of coming down to the wire there for a lot of games. So, kind of like Stock said, it was it was this wild web of, of finishes, some that we expected based on the result, but some that were not expected based on just how the game played out. So, you know, we're down to the final three weeks. Now we're down to the final two weeks of the regular season. This is what we expected. So um, some, some great finishes as the conference title picture start to clear up a little bit. Well, we, we normally start in the Western Big Six, but I think tonight we're going to start in the Three Rivers. We had the, the Taylor boys on the scene at two great games. And so I, I left Rock Ridge and Jim, I, I thought, man, you and I saw a great game, maybe the best game of the night. And then I listened to Ty's call of Sherrard Orion, and I think, man, I think Sherrard just topped all of it. But we'll start, Jim, with Rock Ridge. What an effort against, a, I mean, it's no secret. It's a Morrison team that we've talked up a lot, and they've played really well this season. But, man, Rock Ridge's defense was going toe-to-toe with them all game long, and, and even after Morrison had the big – you know, the big drive, the big two explosive plays, you're kind of waiting for that to happen. Rockridge answers twice to get the win. Talk about that one from your, you know, your perspective. Well, and, and the way, I mean, if you look at the, the game statistically, Rockridge dominated that game. So we had them unofficially 17 first downs to three. Morrison had one first down in the first half. And the way that game started tonight, Rock Ridge fumbled on the very first play from scrimmage at their own 18. So Morrison, their first drive started at the 18 of Rock Ridge. And they ended up turning the ball over on downs at the 33. So that told you what type of defensive effort Rock Ridge was in for uh, tonight. But if you take away, so here are the run statistics for uh, Morrison uh, tonight. They, they had the 44-yard touchdown run by Anderson. That was their lone score. So if you take that play away from Morrison tonight, here were their run. Here, here were their running statistics. McQueen two carries minus nine yards. Anderson 12 carries 57 yards. One of those the 44-yard touchdown run. Newman three carries 15 yards. Bielema seven carries 16 yards. Carson Strading 10 carries 23 yards. That's how dominating the Rocket defense was uh tonight and they they and, and morrison kind of had the bend but don't break and there were a number of turnovers in the game but rockridge really played in the, the morrison end of the field all night but 
it was a fluke situation where good teams normally find a way. And I thought Morrison, they were going to win that thing when they scored that touchdown with uh, nine minutes to go. Rockridge comes back and they score with two minutes left to go, but they get the PAT blocked and it's seven, six. And you think if Morrison recovers the, the onside kick, which they do, uh, you think, well, they, they probably are going to win the game, but Rockridge gets, has three timeouts remaining. They get the stop and uh, they get the ball back and a freshman quarterback leads them on a, on an 80 yard drive. And they, they score uh, basically twice in the final, you know, five minutes of the game to win that. Talk, yeah. Jim, talk a little bit about, I mean, you've seen Schweigen, you know, throughout the season, this feels like that, you know, that huge leap forward you know he's been progressing obviously getting better week after week but it all kind of feels like it culminated with this right they needed a drive they needed to sustain and they needed poise from the quarterback position and as a freshman he steps right in and leads them down the field twice against the state-ranked undefeated Morrison team what a I mean what a performance yeah and the 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 first score though for Rock Ridge the Zarlatanis kid kind of willed them down the field with a solid running attack. They score, but the, the final drive where they go 80 yards, 148 left to go, no timeouts. They go down the field. And I told coach Graves uh, in our post game show, if you have ever broadcast a game from Morrison, the press box on Morrison is on the visitor side where there's no fans. It's just the visiting team. And they ran a pass play in that direction. And the primary receiver you could tell was Landon Wheatley, their big play receiver. And you could tell he was covered and you, that was the primary receiver, but he checked down and saw this Reed Mueller kid who plays with a cast. He's got a soft cast on his right arm and he finds him at the 50 huge play. And that really sparked that drive and, and they would eventually march down the field and score. So I thought that was an epic read by him. Uh, and like I said, 148, no timeouts against one of the top teams in the state. And they score with 18 seconds left to play and uh, win it 14 to seven. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. What, what did, what did Sam Graves say about the defensive effort? Well, here's the thing about coach Graves that was pretty. And I told coach cook, if anybody knows who Glenn cook is, yeah, Glenn cook. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. hey, so coach Graves. So here's a weird anomaly that's happened for Rock Ridge in the last two weeks. All right. So they beat Monmouth Roseville last week. Two weeks ago, they beat Orion. They mercy ruled Orion and had 15 penalties and still mercy ruled them. And they had 12 penalties last week. They've had 27 penalties in two weeks and they've won two games. I mean, that's unheard of. And Coach Graves last week, well, he wasn't. He wasn't going to come on the post game because he was so mad about the number of penalties. And he said, you know, he finally, he came on and he said, we're not going to go anywhere if we can't play disciplined football. And he, he's right. And tonight, I think Rockridge had two penalties. So he was very pleased with that effort. And, you know, in a game like tonight where it's a hard hit and smash mouth game where there can be a lot of emotions, you worry about, well, we're going to get a, eventually maybe there's going to be a 15 yarder because you just have two knockdown drag out teams going mano a mano, but Rockridge really played discipline uh, football today. And I know coach Graves, he was pretty proud of the the effort of those uh, kids tonight because I, and I, like I told coach cook, that was a great small school uh, football game, quality 
defensive effort by both clubs. Morrison's a good team. I mean, Morrison is a good team and they were, they were going to find a way to win with getting out first down 17 to three. I mean, yeah. it took a heck of an effort down the stretch for Rockridge to win that game. Yeah. Mitch, what do you got? No, I was going to say to to Jim's point, it seems like for Morrison, they got bit by the self-inflicting penalty wounds tonight. It seemed like any time that they, I mean, you talked about their first drive, they get the ball on the 18 and they finish on the 33. I think they were bit by a handful of penalties and that hurt them all night. I think um, the, the second point I would say to rock Ridge's credit on that final drive, I couldn't believe how much they were running the ball with no timeouts and under two to play. They were giving it to Zarlatanis. They were giving it to whoever it was, but you know, they weren't, and, and that, I think that allowed Schweigen to really be comfortable in that situation where the pressure wasn't on him as much. So the, the play calling surprised me, but it worked out, certainly worked out in, in Rockridge's favor. Yeah. But the major point was, I think, that Rockridge was able to save their timeouts. They didn't burn any, you know, because if they did, they won't, they won't not won the game. And then that first pass where, they, where Schweigen threw it, and they got to they got beyond midfield. That allowed them to then run the ball, and they were running and getting chunk plays. They were getting 10, 7, 10 yards a carry, and that got them into position. But a great poised drive by a young freshman, and I think this really shows that Rockridge could definitely make a run deep into the playoffs when you've got a freshman quarterback making poised drives like that and a team Rockridge finding a way to win when they were down seven, six and they, and Morrison got that onside kick. I thought the game was pretty much over and Rockridge is now nine and one in the last 10 road games, eight in a row they've won. And they're 15 and two in the last 17 regular season games overall. This is a good program. Mitch, I was, I'm curious Were you, I was surprised with that game today, knowing that Rockridge had three timeouts. I thought they'd kick it deep. And I thought the onside kick was going to haunt them. I, I really did. I thought by them kicking the onside kick and not because just the way their defense had played all night, I thought kick it deep, get the, the three stops, get the ball back at, at midfield. But I mean, still they have to credit that freshman quarterback. I mean, 148, no timeouts and, and going against, you know, one of the top teams in the state and able to march that ball down the, the field uh, 80 yards. And by the way, the one kid for Morrison today, made an incredible like almost one-handed interception uh it was it was one-handed the, the uh chase oh, newman it, right was it chase newman, newman? Yeah, incredible play he's uh, a crazy athlete yeah. oh my man goodness. oh man and then i wanted to see because i was hearing about the uh and i they, they just had him on kickoff returns tonight because i didn't know the backstory about the alvarado kid like he has one yep. of like, yeah is it the is it the uh triple jump or the long jump he's like long, the, has the national jump. record at junior at junior high level so yeah, he must was, be a heck of an athlete too because he but he only played on kick returns tonight yeah in, in that in that running back room he kind of sits down in the depth chart a little bit but he'll certainly be one of their backs next year and then it goes without saying that their their track team is going to be pretty good yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned that one-handed interception i feel like as the uh, you know videographer there for WQAD, I owe both Morrison and Rockridge an apology because I could have taken like five minutes of their you know showtime tonight to air all those highlights. 
Now, don't worry. We'll get it up on View from the West on YouTube. I'll, I'll put all my highlights out there and tweet them out. But, man, there was just, you know, not a lot of scoring, but just so many big impact plays and, you know, just a great defensive effort on both sides of the ball. That was a great, great football game to be a part of. Uh, so, Ty, you saw a pretty good one yourself here. So, I'm editing my highlights. I'm listening to your call. And actually, truth be told, somehow I, I don't know if I paused it or I got distracted trying to, you know, get my own work done. So I didn't actually hear it. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Mitch sends me the text that said, Sherrard won that game. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it because I knew they were down, had to go 98 yards. So tell me what happened here. Well, this game was kind of crazy throughout. So it started where Orion uh, got the opening kick and went three and out right away. And they punted and it was kind of a freak play where the punt hit one of the blockers for Sherrard and Orion recovered it and then scored a touchdown. And then on the next drive for Sherrard, they fumbled and Orion scored. So right away it was 12, nothing like in the blink of an eye. And you know, I'm, it's like a disastrous start for Sherrard. Um, but then they end up scoring back to back touchdowns in the second quarter. They go up 13, 12 at halftime, end up going up 20 to 12. So they score 20 in a row and then Orion comes back and scores 14 in a row to go up 26, 20 and Sherrard basically on the last set of downs, they could get a stop without Orion being able to kneel it out, gets a stop on, they force it to be fourth and four. I think Orion punts and it's down to the two. So it's a perfect punt. Their punter Owen Voorhees who had a big night receiving two for them like a perfect punt 141 left I believe and Sherrard had one timeout left and they just march down the field you know they get kind of chunk play after chunk play they call their last timeout when they're at the 23 and then uh, I think it was third and 10 a 23 yard touchdown pass Holland Anderson to Cyrus Hoke who the story with him is Sherrard today learned that one of their receivers is out for the rest of the season with a hip injury so Sam Crownover got hurt, one of the receivers. And then Garrett Woodward, who's another one of their normal top four receivers, got hurt last week and has a cap. So he doesn't really play off. He didn't really play offense this week. So they were down two of their receivers. And so Hoke slid in and a kid who doesn't really, you know, play a ton on offense normally, a senior kid. And he tonight made the game-winning catch and also four catches for 76 yards overall. And then the touchdown that won the game. So a huge night for a kid like that and just a – a really fun game to be a part of, but kind of speaking to how we talked about with the Rockridge and Morrison kind of split stats, Sherrard had 25 first downs to Orion's nine. And in terms of time of possession, which Eric Hutchins, who does the Sherrard games with me, does a great job. He keeps time of possession. He does everything. Sherrard had the ball for 32 minutes, Orion just 16. So wow, uh, Sherrard really kind of controlled the, the flow of the game really. And it just felt like, it felt like they should have been winning basically the whole night. And, and it took a 98 yard drive where they <laughs> one time out with a minute 41, crazy, crazy drive, but a big night for them. They attempted 46 passes tonight. Sherrard did. So Holland Anderson was 26 for 46 for 294 yards and two touchdowns. So, so just a, so a, a really great comeback win and a really fun game to be a part of. All right. So Orion loses with zero, 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 yeah. zero, zero, zero seconds last week how much time was on the clock 5.2 oh, I think. man yeah, i know so i like to lose in that fashion two weeks in a row where like you said last week they were up seven give up a touchdown and then the two-point conversion with no time on the clock tonight 
they give up the touchdown to tie it. And then I didn't even mention how the PAT went. So on the PAT, yeah. the first one was good, but uh, uh, Orion jumped off sides, which is a pre-snap penalty. So they had to re- redo it. Next play, it's a bad snap. And the kicker, no offender, picks it up and rolls to his right and just kind of like desperation throws it to the end zone, which it almost got caught. It was incomplete, but when he threw it, he got tackled by like the horse collar. So there was that penalty, and then Sherrard had an illegal man downfield. So those offset, and they replayed it again, and then he kicked it through the third time. So it was just oh, like, oh I've never God. seen anything like that. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. Oh. Well, and normally, <laughs> and, he, and, it, and it was like raining, so it was just like kind of a wild, wet mess at the end of the game, and it was just kind of crazy how that all played out. Well, and normally, like the bad luck, it seems like over the last ten to fifteen years that has beset Sherrard football yeah, for right. whatever the reason is, breaks see, have never seemed to you know go their way, and so finally they get a break like this tonight. We've talked about it too with Sherrard. It's like the scheduling gods never shine on them, shine on them because it's like it, you know they're trying to make the turn and they're doing a good job, and I think they're a quality team this year, and you could see that at the beginning of the year with the quality opponents they've played and those single digit losses where, you know, those games hanging in the balance. And you just think, can they ever get the schedule reversed where it's a little friendlier at the beginning of the year than it is, you know, uh, like it has been where it's been so challenging the last few years. Cause like I said, that's a dangerous team. Yeah. Uh, and I know they let Morrison kind of, uh, extend that lead, um, last week but man what i mean the last two weeks for orion man that's a tough way yeah. to walk off and the funniest thing last week about the orion erie provostown game did any of you guys see that like yeah so to me it was so funny it's like so they score and it's like both sidelines it's like oh we're not play on like there was no like thought of like is there gonna be a timeout it's like well we're going for two okay, <laughs> line up i get okay they score game over i just thought it was like so bizarre on the way that game uh, finished, but I'm glad. Sure, I, I I'm so happy that next year Mercer County can finally be in this mix, right, yeah, and play these wild local games because that was the crowd. I'm assuming the crowd was probably pretty good. It was good, it. yeah. So it's just great to kind of get those uh, uh, crowds back together in those kind of local uh, games. And, and I think too, like for Sherrard with kind of the like you said, the history of their program for them tonight to beat Orion in a game where, you know, like the playoff fates of both teams were on the line, obviously to win for themselves was big, but I think for that program and for those kids and just everybody, it, it, it really meant something for them to, to deliver the knockout punch to Orion too. So uh, a huge win for them. And, and to your point about what you're saying about Sherrard, I mean, they, you know, they have four losses, but coming into tonight, the, or teams they lost to their combined records were 21 and three. So like, you know, we, we, we've talked about it all year. The schedule they've played has been tough and now they're two wins away. And, you know, Erie Prophetstown, they play them next week. Who's playing better and Monmouth Rose will be a challenge too, but they're two wins away from getting to the postseason for the first time in I think 14 years. So, well, and if you remember last year, I thought Sherrard last year, even though they won one game, they were competitive yeah, most of were. the year, but the only game last year, that really got away from them late. They got freaking smashed by Orton late in the year mm-hmm. where I thought, wow, that's, you know, being reflective of the season. Are we making a step in the right direction? Well, that, that had to be a stinging loss last year, late in the year. So again, the, the fortune of them playing so many close games this year and falling short to get that win tonight over uh, Orion 
they have to feel pretty good about that. Well, I'm I'm happy for Coach Johnson because, like like you said, you know the schedule didn't you know didn't work in their favor early on, and you know I I knew when he got the job that this was a this was a program that he was going to be able to rebuild. You, you just you just had faith in his track record, and he'd be able to turn it around. And maybe this year it didn't happen as instantaneously as we thought it might, but I think the pieces are there and you're seeing it. Mitch, I'll put you on the spot, and then I'll ask you to read the rest of the scores from the three rivers. Is Sherrard a playoff team this year? Yes. Oh, there you go. There I, you go. And I stocking think, concurs. Because I think they will beat Erie Prophetstown. The games at Sherrard will be a tough game because Erie Prophetstown has really come out the last two weeks. But I think they'll win that game. I think they'll beat Monmouth Roseville. Sherrard has been one of those teams that, I mean, they – only lost, uh, I think it was to Rockridge by three points. You know, I mean, this yeah. is a good team. And, you know, the other thing was at the end of the game, after the uh, after the, the the three tries and they finally got the extra point through, I think Shard kicked it out of bounds like twice or something. Ty, yeah. you were well, then, that, they were offsides on the first one. And then the second one, they kicked out of bounds. So then they had to kick it off three times too. Yeah, it was the <laughs> longest five seconds you've ever been a part of. My goodness. <laughs> Ty, you had you had your finger up. You had your hand up. I did. I, I want to do this because I don't think I'll ever be able to do it again. I, I have a, I'm going to correct Brian Stockton. Okay? Yes, yes. Sherrard so, Char- is at Erie Provincetown next week. And I know that because I'm not too happy about having to make that drive from a <laughs> <laughs> the is the game, wait, wait a minute is the game in Provincetown or Erie I think it's an Erie this year because okay. they, they played oh. in Provincetown last year because I went there twice last year the crew the crew at WQAD Matt Randazzo Corey Cuffler in the background stock they're hazing you man they're 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 jumping <laughs> all right. over you I feel bad I feel bad now I wish I we were just that. we were waiting and praying we hope you would make a mistake tonight <laughs> and you did so get nervous <laughs> stocking because Ty and I are on the Aaron, dude, come on. His big stat tonight was that that was the first time Moline or UT had beaten Moline at the Soul Bowl since 1988 until Nick oh. Waltz was on set and informed him that they beat him in 2020. And he didn't know these two knew either. It was amazing. <laughs> hey, we love you, Stock. You're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'll see about we'll see what they get in their Christmas gift bonus. Um, <laughs> no, um, the thing is, this Sherrard is a very good team, and I think that you know Orion, you know Heartbreak Hotel last two weeks. You know, as Jim said, they lost last week at zero zero five million zeros, and then this week with five seconds left, left. You know, Chip Filler's got to be beside himself. You know, he might be wishing that the games were forty seven minutes long. Yeah. 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 So uh, can I ask, can I ask a stock, a three rivers question? Yes. Yes. Okay. So what, what should Riverdale Ram, you're a, you're a Riverdale alumni, right? Yes. What what do you think about eight man for them? No. I think that's coming eventually. Um, I don't know if it will be in the next year, couple of years. But I think before they would go to eight man, they'll probably try and drop down to like the Northwest State Alumni, which is a very good conference. 
but they're going to probably try and go to that fall to that, and before they would go to eight man. Stock, so I'm, I'm not so sure. The the else, ups- and then all of them is going to come into the trap. <laughs> but we've got an opening. <laughs> but Morris is leaving. You look at the Northwest Upset Illini stock. They're not going to oh, fare any better there. I don't. I know the Northwest uh, uh, Northwest Upstate Illini is a tough conference, but the people in my neck of the woods will probably think it's a step down because the you know West Carroll's there. Well, you know, you know but they're they, going eight man. The three time defending state champions are there. Stock. How is that a step down? <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm saying. I'm not saying you, that. You are saying I, it. You just said so it. I said that the people in my neck of the woods will say that. I know very well that you got Lee Wynn, you got Dupac, you got Fulton, you got Morrison. There, that conference has always been a tough conference. But the people in my neck of the woods think that they think that they, you know, do not think that way. Out in out in Port Bryan, the mayor of Port Bryan, Mister Stocking. Well, I, I know I about just, I. Well, and I want to see. I I, I I'm saddened. When I see programs like that, where they're trying to, you know, get something going and I respect the kids that are out there saying, Hey, I'm going to try and turn the, cause it, it ain't easy, man. It, it ain't easy when you're getting mercy ruled in the second quarter, every Friday night. So I, I feel for those kids and I want to see them have success. And I, I, I want to see them get better and be more competitive. Cause that makes the league better. Yeah. I mean, it, it just does. And I don't know what the future is. And I know when we talk about their enrollment, and they're they're in one of those situations where they play all those fall sports, and they have an enrollment of of three fifty. Where you have soccer, you have cross country, you have golf, and you have football. And I don't know how you can. You, I mean, you you can't have it's it's mathematically impossible for all four of those programs to be successful because there's just not enough kids. And golf opinion. has always been a big sport at Riverdale. I mean, traditionally, when I even when I was there. Golf was the bit was a big sport. You always they always had like thirty or forty people for Wayne Brinkmeyer's golf team, and now with and we didn't even have cross country or soccer when I was there. So I mean, it was tough finding kids then, and now lower enrollment, more sports. It is a very difficult grind, and it's I don't know, I don't know what the what the what the powers to be think, but it's they're gonna have to make a decision. And I think that, you know, you look at the Three Rivers, the Three Rivers is sort of turning, I mean, literally, you can have the Three Rivers Olympic Division next year, you know, with Monroe's, Mirko, Orion, Rockridge, Shrek. Bring back the Olympic, as Jim always said, they're right. doing that in the Three Rivers. They kept their own Get Macomb and Knoxville. Go after Macomb and Knoxville <laughs> now in Farmington. But. So, two things, two things. Um, I, first of all, when you talk about Riverdale, I respect so much, respect the heck out of what Guy Derricks is trying to do out there. I, I love that he, I love that he went to his alma mater and he's really putting everything into trying to get this program up to where he wants it to be. I think he was on a playoff team when he was there. So I respect, you know, the job he's doing and I hope he can make something work there. I think the bigger question for Riverdale, and you mentioned eight man is if eight man becomes a fully sanctioned IHSA sport is Riverdale's enrollment too big. Will the IHSA put a cap on where eight man has to be? I think that's the big Riverdale's enrollment is about three fifty at the high school. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, 
because I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, well, if they would put a cap on or not, because you know the numbers are, but the numbers are sort of dwindling, also. But um, you know, when you know you go back to COVID, and COVID really wrecked the Riverdale program. And the reason I say that is, the in two thousand nineteen. They they played at Newman in their final in the final regular season home game in week eight lost fourteen seven, and really dominated that game against Newman, and then they beat Bureau Valley to finish four and five. There was a lot of optimism in twenty twenty, COVID came, everything got shut down. It got moved to spring. You had kids that lost lost interest in the sport. Lost, you know didn't follow through with training. And you know things just didn't go right, and it just had. And every ever since then, it's really gone sort of uh, down. Loses everybody. It's really sort of <laughs> on down, and it's it is sad to see. Oh, okay, there's, there's Corey Cuffler yeah. signing off. Jim, what do you got? All right, I want to go. I want to go a, a funny Riverdale story that I know of that happened. Tell me it involves Brian Stocking. No, but he <laughs> wouldn't know this, and th- th- he's gonna write these notes down. So I remember back in the day, uh, Alita, when they were in the Olympic, this is in the early 90s to late 90s, they would always play, there were eight teams in the Olympic, and they would always play two non-conference games to begin the year. And they, one of them would always be Riverdale. And the one year they were playing at Riverdale, and this was, folks, that's when you could play sophomore or JV games the same night you could play varsity games before there were any, like, quarter limitations and there was a freshman young man by the name of Michael O'Brien at Alito and he played in the JV or sophomore game and then he played in the varsity game and he scored eight touchdowns that night three in the JV game and five in the varsity game and we didn't I remember John Hoshite they they didn't know he was going to play in the varsity game so they didn't have his number and they're like who's that number 20 and the legend of Michael O'Brien <laughs> began that night because he had eight touchdowns against your school stocking. <laughs> this is an interesting story, though. I will say this. My first ever game I worked uh, stats for Riverdale as a freshman, we played at Alito at George Pratt Memorial Field. And we played uh, the varsity game. We won 12 nothing, And... The interesting thing was I was standing in the back of the WRMJ radio booth doing the stats for Riverdale. Did John Hosha big time you? (laughs) And and they, uh, they went to break and they, and they broke and the news breaking news that night was uh, that Bart Giamatti, the commissioner of baseball had died right after a week after suspending Pete Rose. So I run down uh, the steps, the, the old, uh, stairs there and i ran into our athletic director uh, to our superintendent principal i said pete rose killed bart giamatti <laughs> i think they probably thought oh my god we got him for four more years <laughs> i man stock i gotta say last week on the instant reacts i was not expecting a secretariat reference and this week i was not expecting a bart giamatti reference but here we are well, when you bring on Jim Taylor and Ty Taylor, you have to step up your game. Okay, right. and then I'm going to do one other Riverdale tidbit then. So this is why this is such a great podcast because people will say, well, has Riverdale won a game this year? No, but they deserve some attention. So Guy Dierks, I think he played for Bill McCarty, right? Or not? They were yes. Players. 
Yes. Uh, he was on the first the party coached at Alito. Yes. And he coached Pat Lower, who's the head coach of Fulton, who's my brother-in-law. So it's seven <laughs> degrees of separation, everybody, on view from the West in our podcasting pants tonight. I, uh, Patrick Lower, who I just talked to on the sidelines tonight at Fulton. Did so I, did, 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 what was the final of the Dupac game? Did they win that, or who, who was the winner of that? Dupac won 46-14. Yep. Ooh. All right. Well, let's, all right, we have, we have taken sidebars and sidetracks and derailed and all right, let's, let's Mitch, let's get into some scores from the three rivers here. Uh, 45 minutes in here. We've gone over two games. Uh, Let's go down here. Kiwani Kiwani gets their sixth win and automatic qualification for playoffs. 42 to 21 over Monmouth Roseville. Princeton, the big winners over BV 42 to nothing. Geneseo 63, Mendota 6, Erie Profits Sound, the 46 to 7 winners over the fighting Brian Stockings. And you've got Hall at Sterling Newman tomorrow. Um, I feel bad that we never really, we talked about it a little bit last year, the rivalry between Bureau Valley and Princeton, which is now going away with Bureau Valley jumping to the LLC. But did you know that the rivalry was called the Rumble and the Roar? For the storm and the tigers, I I never I never knew that, and I go has got that shirt. Yeah, and I, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's 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 weird that they're 16 miles apart and they've only played three times. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and, and to me, go ahead. Bureau Valley, you know, in its current form, I say only has only existed since 96. 96? I was gonna say 96. All right. Um, so anyway, but yeah, and you know, Princeton longtime NCIC member. So anyway, all right. Well, what? And, uh, and well, and my buddy Jason Kirby, I still say was state champ that year because that was the year they had to run into Addison Driscoll Catholic. The year he had a he was loaded that year in three A, and they just ran into a school that no longer exists. Yeah. Anymore. Well, they it won was, it. They won it one year, but Kirby wasn't coaching the year they won it. I don't yeah, think Dave so. Moore was coaching. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, one of my favorite, go ahead. But I mean, he had a great three, yep. a team yep. that year and they just, I mean, Driscoll Catholic was three, eight. How many state champs championships in a row did seven they Seven or eight. Win? They went yeah. seven. Uh, one of my favorite athletes of all time covering high school athletics, Garrett Farnes, what he did on a football field was ridiculous. So I'm getting, I'm getting PTSD from this conversation. So can we move on? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, um, I think, I I think we lost, I think we lost 42 to nothing against BV that year. um, The year they lost to Driscoll. And then we only lost by two or something to Garrett Barnes. So yeah, those are a couple of rough, rough memories. (laughs) So nice bounce back win for Kiwani. They, they, like you said, Mitch, they clinched themselves a playoff spot. They look really good. Um, Princeton gets the big win there over Bureau Valley, Erie Prophetstown, man, you know, they rally, they get that win over Orion. They get the win tonight over Riverdale. They got a big matchup next week. We, we've predicted that, you know, Sherrard might win that one, but man, Erie Prophetstown's riding a lot of momentum and what, what coach Whitebread has going there with Dimitri Larson, that kid's only a junior, I believe. So 
dynamic athlete that will be, you know, a name we'll be talking about for a while here. Stock, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean to lean on you now. Let's go to the Western Big Six. What do we got? Okay, as Mitch said, Geneseo defeated Mendota 63-6. Big game for uh, A.J. Weller and Jerron Neal. Quincy. Jaron. Jaron Neal. Thank you. Quincy in a back-and-forth game beat Sterling 35-33. to That game was 35-27 at recess. Uh, Mitch, what do you got? You're, you're, you're pointing. It's not, it's not back-and-forth if Sterling never led. Well, it was. Let's see. <laughs> oh. Um, Galesburg tonight. To <laughs> he doesn't even acknowledge Galesburg it. defeats no. Rock Island 24 to 7. And uh, UT with the upset tonight over Moline 42 28. Mitch, you had your eyes on Quincy and Sterling for most of the night, mm-hmm. I feel like. Tell me about this one. Yeah, I watched this one because I knew that, that throughout you and the Taylors, you had coverage elsewhere. So, And we knew that this was a big one because both teams were unbeaten in Western Big Six play. Um, we, we were thinking that this will uh, – initially we, we were looking at Quincy and Geneseo next week, which still is, is going to remain a big game and is still the final roadblock for Quincy to win the conference. But with, with Sterling getting the win last week, um, th- this game became a little bit more important. And early on it was Quincy doing what they – doing what they do. They led 21 to nothing um, after the first quarter. And then the second quarter was maybe one of the wilder quarters of the season out of anyone that we cover. I think there was 35 points scored altogether. Sterling came flying back. They, it seemed like they scored three touchdowns in like 10 minutes of real time because like they would score. Princeton took three plays to score. Sterling would score on the very next play. Then they would get a fumble on the kickoff return. And then they would score on the first play after that. So it was quickly 28-27. It was 35-27 at half. And with with all that scoring the second quarter, naturally no one scored in the third quarter. Um, And this is where I was, when I mentioned earlier, that all the the close games kind of started to get towards the end of the game. And there was a lot still in the balance. So I I kind of flipped my attention over to Sherrard and Orion and watch the ending of that while that was going on Sterling ends up scoring to get to 35 33 they go for two it gets knocked down and Quincy's able to drive down the field they get inside the 10 I think it was and they just needed a first down and and then they kneeled it from there so th- this was a great game Quincy remains undefeated and as just talked about now they play Geneseo uh next weekend next week next Friday and that will really, I guess, determine the Western Big Six. I think this is a, you know, a nice, obviously a nice win for Quincy. You're going on the road for a team that, for the most part, has really controlled every game they've been in. Moline was close, but I think this is a good kind of like checkpoint for them, right? Like as they get closer to the playoffs, I think it's that good reminder that any team can get you on any night, you know, if, if, if they're playing their best game and man credit to Sterling. I mean, I think two weeks ago, I don't think we would have seen a win over Geneseo and coming this close to knocking off Quincy. If they could have pulled this one off, it would have been one of the, maybe the biggest upset of the year. So great effort by Sterling. They really are playing good football right now. Mitch, what do you got? Yeah. So their quarterback drew Nettleton set a Sterling school record tonight. He had four touchdown passes. He was 20 at 27 for two thirty-five. Uh, some Quincy stats, Brayden Little threw for 251 yards, three touchdowns, added one on the ground. 
Uh, Tykel Hammers had a big night, six catches, three of them for scores, 109 yards. And uh, Jareus Rice had 184 yards on the ground, but also had four catches for 97 yards. So um, the offense did did what they did. So it was uh, business as usual for Quincy. And Quincy now clinches a share of the Western Big Six title. Um, they can win it out. They'll definitely they can win it outright uh, next week if they beat Geneseo. And they could still win it outright if Geneseo would lose in week nine. But um, for Quint, but I mean, Quincy tonight did what they had to do. I mean, they could still win outright if uh, Geneseo and uh, Sterling uh, win, lose, one, uh, lose in week nine. Um, yeah, it just seemed that Quincy was in control most of the night. But in that second quarter, I mean, that first quarter, they were totally in control and it looked like you know, they were going to blow out Sterling, and then Sterling comes back with that wild second quarter, and it was just from there, and from there it was on. I mean, hey Jim, can we talk about your United Township Panthers? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, how about Coach Nick Welch? You know, the wins have not been coming, you know, very often here. They're sitting at, you know, this is going to be their second win they're going to get a third win next week on a on a um forfeit from alleman but man huge win over so he was on the score tonight and he never says moline he never refers to them by name so classic coach rivalry speak he always says the team down the road so they were very happy to get the win over the team down the road but mitch did you catch any any of this one or this Great effort by United Township. And I'd say after a week where they struggled against Rock Island, I didn't see this one coming. Yeah, I'm going to be real honest with you, Greg. I did not. Okay, hey, that's fine. Stocking's got something for us. I watched the early part of that game before uh, it got cut off by NFHS Networks. And on the first drive, UT started – when I picked up, UT was already in Moline territory. They converted a third down. They, they were moving the ball on schedule, and when they got to first and goal, they threw a pass into the end zone. It was incomplete, but Moline was called for penalty, and that just reinvigorated their drive. Made it 7 nothing. All of a sudden, Moline made uh, turned the ball over, I think. UT was in uh, Moline, ter- Moline real estate again, and just like that, boom, it was 14 nothing, and that sort of set the tone. Moline never seemed comfortable in, part, in the parts I watched. Like they one time had fourth and one in their own end, and they they did the we're gonna go for it, and they did a bunch of movement, and then they go time out. It just seemed like they were not comfortable, and that UT really had their number early, and really, you know, only would get get close, and then UT would find that find another score and just keep keep putting that coal to the fire, and uh, they were able to beat Moline tonight. Stock, before we wrap up the Western Big Six talk, with a score like 63-6, to Geneseo winning over Mendota, they hit the field, and what happened? It was Katie bar the door on the first pl- on the opening kickoff. That's it what we're like, waiting for. It was, it was Katie like, bar the door in there. It was 35-6 in the first quarter. Um, A.J. Weller came back, and he had a great game tonight. Um I do want to talk a little bit about the Galesburg Rocky game. Okay. Galesburg. Mitch, you you have something. Mitch is Mitch oh, is on sorry. hold. He's coming up next. Yeah. Two, I guess one thing um, that Jim Spencer on the Sterling broadcast used yes. that phrase tonight. During he the game. did. 
I need I need Katie bar the door on WRMJ. We need to make that happen. Tomorrow morning, let's do it. <laughs> you know, let me John, let me say this. Let me let me say this before Stocking steals it because it might be my favorite stat of the night, even though it's not that great for Rock Island. That they were in they were in punt formation five times and they didn't punt. They had two punts that were blocked. They had two that never got kicked, probably due to a, a bad snap or something, and they had a fake failed punt. So five punt formations, never punted. At least, Jim, at least, at, Jim, like Jim what you're, you're okay. So can we can we like circle back then? Yes. So I was gonna ask. Well, I was gonna ask the panel because I didn't realize this until last week. So what Monmouth Roseville is doing on punt? What do you <laughs> think about that? Do you like that? Or I like it. I think it's an unbelievable rule. And my thing is if you have a kicker that is fairly decent in high school. Mind you, you don't have, there's not a lot of great small school. I mean, that, that can kick it from 35 or 40 yards consistently. But if you got a kid that kind of can do it, why not just try it then? Because if he misses, it's an automatic touchback. Or if it doesn't get to the goal line, it's down there. I will, I will let Mitch respond first. But Ty, I thought you brought up the great point last week when you and when you and Jim had the conversation, how many times has that rule been misinterpreted over the years? Where a tonight. field goal, yeah, where a field goal kick is missed and it just goes back to the where the ball was kicked and it should not. I never knew it, and I bet I've seen it a dozen times over the years where it's just oh, not easily. Yeah, easily. Well, tonight, uh, the Sherard missed a field goal. I think the line, it was like raining and they kicked it. The line of scrimmage is the 13 and they missed it. it. It was wide left and Orion their next, when they took over the ball was spotted at the 13. And I was like, it should be at the 20. I know this because of what mama throws does. So they, they misinterpreted that tonight. And I was like, so thank you, coach Adolph. So now I know the rule. <laughs> Hold on, Mitch. I want to get your response. What do you think about this, Mitch? We've talked about it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't like the rule, but that doesn't mean that I don't blame uh, Mama Roseville for exposing it. But I think yeah. the rule is dumb. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, remember, it's a scrimmage kick, just like a field goal and a punt are scrimmage kicks. Yeah, but in college and the NFL, it's different. So that's what makes this a loophole. Right, but it's a high school rule. I mean, it's a scrimmage kick, and you can return a scrimmage kick. Well, uh, but, but like he Ty said, it's been misinterpreted for so many years because I know hundreds of games I've done where it's a missed field goal. They've been placing the ball back at the line of scrimmage. Not yeah. A touch for where the ball is at. And the other thing that drives me bananas is this mercy rule that seems like it's misinterpreted everywhere you go. It's like some people are stopping the clock after a score. Some people are not. It's just like uh, I, the, the continuity of some of these rules. Cause I was at a continuous clock game that seemed like it took, longer than like a regulation game so anyway but i love uh, all the, i love all the officials so ha 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 everybody <laughs> i asked yeah. my dad so my dad does pa announcing for ottawa marquette i asked him about so what do you do for continuous clock and he didn't really have a hard and fast rule either he said they you know they just they, he he knew i should say he knew that they stopped after a score and then that, I think that was basically it. But they're he also not, said that at some point it gets kind of, you know, flim-flam. They're flam. also supposed yeah, to stop for a penalty, a timeout. An injury. An injury. Yeah. 
Well, and then, but it's weird. So it, I've heard too that it's supposed to stop after a score. But then, if it, the kick occurs and like the kick goes out of bounds, they're rolling the clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- that that makes I don't know no sense. Well, I wish they would stop it though on a change of possession, real quick, because it runs through a change of possession, and that's got to drive people like Eric Hutchins crazy because he's doing town possession. It's like you know what is the actual possession. All right. Bad Eric every week. I don't remember where we were at before we got on this Um, tangent, but I just want to say that Galesburg beat Rocky tonight. 24 seven is the first time Galesburg has beaten Rocky at home since 1991. That is, that is stocking gold. And I watched some of that game and Galesburg was right with Rocky and, you know, Rocky tried to, do a couple of outside plays and rock and Galesburg was reading it so and I'm, stopped him. I have a question then. So if we go back to the 1991 game, I would say Vic Boblet, would he have been coaching at Rocky? I think it was his first year. <laughs> <laughs> Who was coaching the, for the, the mighty, mighty, mighty streak? That I don't know off the top of my head, but I think Boblet started I think 91 was his first year because his first year they went one and eight. So if it wasn't uh, Vic, then it was uh, Dan Mortier. <laughs> but I don't know the Galesburg coach off the top of my head. All right. Well, research that next <laughs> week and tell <laughs> the 1991 coach. Get back to us. Was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Are we, are we going to move into the LLC, Mitch? You want to give us some scores here? Let's move to the NUIC because I have no game notes about the LLC. All right, let's do it. Eagles won. Uh, Look, yeah, right, actually, down here. yeah, actually, yeah, stats right here. All right, let's let's get into. I what, do want to ask. We want to go. I was going to get into Mercer County. That's after we got sidetracked okay, about the the, uh, the the scrimmage kick. Yes, Mercer County. This was a much needed win. Had they won at home yet this year? I don't think so. They because they're. I think they only played two home games so far, and they had lost to United. And Farmington. And Farmington. Yeah. They only had two home games? Wow. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that that, that was their first win at home. It was homecoming tonight for Mercer County. Um, They kind of looked like they just controlled it all night. 36-8 was the score. It was, what, let's see, 28-8 at halftime. So, just kind of, uh, I think it was a performance they needed, really, with kind of how the last few weeks have gone for them. And and I know even last week they struggled against Elmwood Broomfield to pull away. So for them to finally have a game where they kind of were in control from start to finish is, I think, something that, you know, like Coach Matlick wanted, needed to see and, and the kids, too. So a nice win for them tonight. So, and I think for them, I, I think Mercer County, the great opportunity for them is they're going to, I think they have a great chance to win out. I think the one thing that's that I think they're a dangerous team because it's a new coaching staff and all of this, and they've dealt with a lot of injuries and I know they're getting another kid back uh, that didn't get to play the first six or seven games of the season. That is a, is a dynamic player. And I think they have a great opportunity to avenge one of their lopsided losses in round one of the playoffs where they're either going to play Farmington or Knoxville. And I think the potential outcome will be a lot different. Am I saying it's going to be an Eagle win? No, but I'm saying the margin is going to be much, much different. So I think there's the opportunity where they're going to get the rematch with either Knoxville or uh, Farmington 
it may be in the early round because I think the key game as we talk about one of the key games coming up, I think next week, the, the, I, I think a, a big measuring stick game that will give you kind of a, uh, an idea of the area conferences is when Fulton plays Knoxville. That's going to give you kind of a key measuring of if Fulton prevails, then you're going to say, well, this is a team that's lost three games in the NUIC and they just beat Knoxville, who was who's unbeaten. Or if Knoxville rolls to a win, then you're saying, well, hey, that's a pretty good team that that, that, that Knoxville is. And they, you know, so I'm saying that's a that's a key measuring stick game non-conference wise next week. I was listening to uh, John Hoshite and the boys called a game on WRMJ tonight uh, here at the station. And Tad Ballmer, the side, your sideline reporter. Oh, they, boy. He mentioned that. You need to get getting, him on this show. They were getting healthy and that they, that he felt they were getting healthier as the season's going on. So, you know, Mirko had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of kids getting hurt at school. And then, you know, but now they're getting. Uh, they're getting healthy, and you know they could very well make a run. And I would not want to play. I would not want to see Mercer County in my bracket. And if they would win round one, all in all likelihood they'd be home in the second round. I would not want to be a top team going to George Pratt Memorial Field for a second round game against Mercer County because you don't teams don't walk into George Pratt Memorial Field and usually walk out with a win. Quickly, well, let me to. say. Let me say that John Hoshite notes on WRMJ are Brian Stocking's go-to gold. He loves getting that inside scoop that Hoshite's got on the call. Well, this is the one thing. This is my my greatest compliment to John Hoshite in his 44 years. Can I see that for a second? Yeah. His like his his handwriting is, it is like great. so he uses a <laughs> pen all the time. Okay. And my, I'm gonna tell everybody my handwriting freaking sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. Especially when That's I'm doing awful. games where yeah. I'm scripting. But his like in the the heat of everything where he's keeping stats and all that, his his handwriting is epically beautiful. I mean, it's it's really artwork. So and if you look in the archives of WMJ, that's the one thing I'll miss when John ever if he ever leaves or whatever and doesn't broadcast, his like felt tip yeah. pen penmanship is top notch. I think it's because I think it's because he's a southern southern Illinois graduate like oh, myself. Oh, so that's right. probably yeah. why. Yeah, he's still right. the and by the way, stocking. He's still the SIU record holder in triples in baseball. Did you <laughs> ah, know? There that you go. Not? That I did not know. Yeah, boy, we're we're kind of dunking on stocking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, what other mitt or stock? Let's get stocking. Stocking, yeah. give us some LLC scores here. I can give you all that I have. It's Elmwood Brimfield uh, beating Macomb tonight, fifty-two to eight. Wow, that's that surprised me. That margin, man. Yeah, that's we crazy. Talked, we talked Mercos went over Illini West, thirty-six to eight. Knoxville rolled past West Hancock, forty-seven twenty-six. A Town edges Havana, fourteen to twelve. Rova Williamsfield rolls past Rushville Industry, forty-five sixteen. South Fulton defeats United, thirty-four to six. Stark County stays unbeaten. They beat Princeville 48 to 28. Anawan Weathersfield uh, blew open a game against Farmington. They only led 1915 at halftime. They win 33-15. And tomorrow, LVC plays Oblong out of conference. Who knows where Oblong is at? I don't. I don't want to make the trip to Oblong. <laughs> I'm making the trip to Ames. <laughs> 
I was, I was actually, uh, I kind of surprised myself. I, I guessed strategically that it was on the southeastern side of the state, and I got it right. So there you go. I don't know anything else know. about them. They're all, I know they're winless. Yeah, uh, that's yep, yep. And the miners of Lewistown Valley, Cuba, are all winless. <laughs> yeah, don't forget Spoon River. Yeah. <laughs> how about how about Anwan Weathersfield here? 33-15 over Farmington. The, I mean, a Farmington team that obviously they're undefeated. They'd played really well. They had beaten Mercer County earlier this year. Anwan Weathersfield had that one one-point loss against Stark County in week two, and I feel like they kind of just slipped under the radar. They kind of just kept doing their job, getting the job done week in and week out, while Stark County, Anwan Weathers, or uh, Rova Williams Field was getting some of the headlines. But man, this this is a this is a marquee win for them. Anaheim yeah, Westfield's defense puts pressure on you. They've they've shut out four opponents. In fact, tonight snapped their three game streak. But they had three consecutive games where they shot out opponents. That was that was uh, scra- that was a uh, beaten. That was snapped tonight. But they've shot out four opponents this year. Their defense puts pressure on you because you know how good their defense is. That they get a score or two you may not be able to catch up with them. What do you got, well, Jim? Here's here's my my surprise, though, of the, what is it? Is it called the Lincoln Land? It's called the Lincoln Land Conference, yeah. So, by the way, did I ever tell you what they should have used as the mascot for the Lincoln Land? No. Conference? Can I tell you that or not? Yeah, yeah. Have, have you ever been to New Boston? I think I have been. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Once. So in, in New Boston, they have like a wood carved statue. I've seen the, that. Yes, I know I've been there. Then. Of Lincoln, the rail splitter, right? So th- that's the like logo they should use for the Lincoln Land Conference is that Lincoln, that uh, wood statue <laughs> of Lincoln in New Boston. And they also have one of Chief Blackhawk, too. But anyway, uh, the one thing that I, I'm surprised at in the Lincoln Land is. United opens the season. Yes. They come to Mercer County. They beat the Golden Eagles at Pratt Memorial Field. And I thought, man, they're going to be on a run this year. And tonight in the seventh week of the season, they're eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, you talk about a turn of going from that to now two and five and out of playoff contention after opening the season with a win over Merco on the road. We, well, I will say we we focus on the positives here, but if you look back at week one, is that score credit to United for being there and ready to get that, you know, ready to take that win? Is that a little bit of an indication of Matlick trying to figure out yeah, first I think game head coaching? Bit. Yeah, I think so, but I'm still thinking that yeah. if you get a win like that, I still thought that, well, that's a team that's going to get in the playoffs. I mean, if they, if that's, if you look at their schedule and say, what are they, what wins do you circle that they're going to get? What are 50 fifties? What are wins they're not going to get? I just think that that's one of the wins on their schedule that you would, you would say, uh, if you look on United schedule, would you say, well, are they going to beat South Fulton or are they going to beat Merco? Yeah. Yep. Mitch, we talked about it. We thought that, a few weeks ago, they were going to be a playoff team that we, we had penciled in some wins here then, and they haven't, they haven't come. So it's, yeah. Yeah. It, like, like you guys were just talking about, just, I uh, think that's what five straight. So 
Yeah, not not sure what the story is. I'm also not sure what the story is with Elmwood Brimfield. Um, right. Just yeah, up on my night. My our and you guys, the Taylors, you guys can't see this, but I have all of our notes with scores and notes on it. And my note on this game is, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the same I, thing I thought. It's crazy. I mean, Ooh. I will say Elmwood Brimfield played really well against Farmington, and it kind of took a crazy play on a fourth down conversion to get them in to to get them the lead late so i mean elmwood brimfield played really well against farmington but yeah i didn't see this big of a turnaround uh, this big of a score mitch yeah just just looking at macomb's schedule i mean now looking at their wins they have three wins and those opponents have a combined four wins so they're they they haven't been beating good teams i wouldn't say and their losses have been all to teams with winning records. So they just haven't been able to – well, with the exception of today with, with Elmwood Brimfield. But maybe we – maybe Macomb just had an early part of their schedule, I guess, and now it's starting to catch up with them a little bit. What, what is Macomb now? They're three and four now. Three and four. They're three now, and four now. Mind you, they, they had a tragedy in their district where they had a student. It, correct. Died. Correct. And, you know, the other story about them – so one of their best kids coming back was the WIU basketball coach, uh, G- Coach Jeter's son, JT, and they went to Southern Utah, so they lost him. And then Macomb's police chief last year had a great football player, and he took a job outside of Macomb. So they, the, two of their top kids on their team, because of their uh, parents moving to take other jobs, they lost some, uh, uh, I mean, they lost some firepower on their team. And it's kind of neat. I was glad to see Macomb cause they're coming to Burko. And that was kind of a nice, when they played in the Olympic conference days, I know the uh, coach for Macomb uh, uh, Horrell is his uh, name. I forget his first name, but his dad was the defensive coordinator for Kelly Sears. And I know Steve Horrell, the AD at Macomb is pretty excited about coming back to, to Merco. But yeah, like you said, they're, they're, they're kind of on an Island in their weird conference affiliation situation. I mean, are they really a good fit with their enrollment to play? some of the teams they're playing, I don't know, but they're just kind of in that part of the state where what conference uh, can they go to? Back in the late 70s, when the when the Western Big Six was talking about expanding, the name that was bandied about most was McComb. Well, yeah, because back then, when in the two-class system at that time, McComb's enrollment back then was around 800, so they would right. always play uh, in the two-way postseason in the two-class sports. Right. Now they're but- declined some since then yeah i mean but can you imagine i mean that was the name that was bandied about in the late 70s was not geneseo or sterling but mccomb which really was stunning when i saw when i was bringing up on some of that back in the day i saw that i'm like going mccomb and you know but yeah they were they, they were a serious candidate in the late 70s especially when rock island was struggling i mean there was a point where rock island almost lost their athletic program Due to financial due to a financial shortfall. Yep. So seventies. All right. Well, but, flipping you know, we back. About, what? What? I, what? We talked about Riverdale possibly going to eight man. Yeah, go, let's go back to River our Riverdale. <laughs> Where are we could, going here? Could United be looking at possibly oh, going? I think, that, going I to think that's man. kind of uh, been a discussion item. I think any school. You're kidding yourself. If any schools around 300 or less, if they're not in the back of their mind, not thinking about eight man, because you're one class, basically one class participation where kids don't go out. And the test for me is always, I tell coaches, if you're playing kids on Friday night that are freshmen and sophomores, 
and they're only playing because of attrition in 11-man football, the, the, then you've answered the question. You need to play eight-man. Um, I will say I am a proud alum of the smallest 11-man school in the state of Illinois. So, And they, they took a tough loss tonight to Seneca. Uh, believe will be a 3A school. But um, they're okay. so you need to have. So you're talking about Ottawa Marquette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, have you ever had Kev Varning on your show before? No, I I've interacted with him over the years. I need to. Yeah, he's, Ottawa, he's a proud Ottawa Marquette grad. Absolutely. And he's yeah. a great historian. And, and he would throw out all kinds of facts and figures that would get Brian stocking all flustered. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch. Mitch, you got your hey, hand up. You know up. what we need it's... to do? Can I say something? You know what yeah. we need to do? Brian, would you want to do this? Oh, boy. And, oh then boy. and then we can ask Dan Pearson. We need to go. We've always talked about doing this, and we can get Nick Bull, too. Can we? Can I name drop like a lot of people? Oh, yeah. We need to get together like this summer. All right? You want to do this? And we need to go on an Illinois High School Glory Days like tour. You want to do that? <laughs> so you guys want to do that or not? We did one. We did one back in what was that? What year was that stock? Like two thousand and seven or eight? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that, was a, that was a long time ago. Yeah, we went to Mineral and Atkinson and uh, Lafayette. Lafayette, Buda. Yes. Yeah. So Jim, I'll send you a link. I'll, I'll maybe I'll share it with the with the masses. But there's a video out there that I put together, and we did a a Glory Days tour one oh, afternoon. Man. Well, it we was need to awesome. do that again. I want to do that. Yeah, it was great. And it was all based off of the notes from Dave Nanagay and his website from Illinois, HS, Illinois HSGloryDays.com. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. A it's true treasure, man. There ain't anybody better. There's no better person in the world than Dave. No, Nanagay. we've talked about doing that again and finding some new schools, and you're in. Yep. You guys are in, in for sure. We can you play stock we can... or not? What's that? I want a stocking in or not. Oh, yeah. he, he's afraid because Dave Nanengay is going to know all the facts and figures and, and hey, I'll and superior knowledge, but uh, <laughs> we, got, we can do it in July or August before school starts after my, after we get done with the summer baseball and softball in Iowa. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. We got to fit it into Brian's schedule. It's tight, but okay. Quickly here. Uh, shout out to Stark County. They get the win tonight. They're sitting at seven and zero now. It's really good to see the Stark County program back at that at that high level. You know, they, they you felt like they were building last year and they made it back to the playoffs at five and four. Lost a first round game to a conference rival in Rover Williams Field. But man, I I'm happy for Coach Nord and for that group. Cause that's, that's a proud program that had kind of fallen on some hard times. Think, you know, numbers were lower and, you know, they just weren't finding the success that they had had, but to get back up to this level right now, and who knows how the rest of the way will work, but it's, it's good to see it. Well, I think like when you look at the small school side of the Lincoln land this year, like, obviously I know like at the one, a level, like the NUIC gets a lot of publicity and rightfully so. And I'm not saying that like, the teams in the upper echelon of the Lincoln land, small school cider, that caliber. But, you know, you look at like Stark County, you mentioned and Anna one Weathersfield got a nice win tonight against Farmington and even like Roval Williamsfield too. Like, I think those three teams are all really good. And do I think they match up with like Lena Winslow or Forreston or Morrison? No, or not Bloomington really. Central Catholic. Right, right. Or but, all tough Catholic. But, um, 
but still, I think that that league is is a pretty strong one A league this year for sure. At least at the the top level of it, I, I think so too. Yeah, it's uh, what I yeah. What I love is you get into the I know I don't what I should I should preface I don't love that we don't do one through thirty two in all the classes. I just say if you're listening, do the right thing, get to one right. through thirty two. But in the meantime, I guess if we're forced to be one through sixteen. That one A North, it's a meat grinder. It's it's my it's my favorite thing to follow along because inevitably you're going to get some huge matchups. I wish they happened later in the playoffs, but they're going to happen. And it's you know it's teams that we're interested in that we like covering. So see, I'll, I'll I'm going to disagree. Oh, I here like we go. The, Let's go. I, I like the one through sixteens. I just feel that there's something to be said about geography and kind of regionals in football and th that's just the way the cookie crumbles and i just think if that's you know one through 16 is a fair division now the subjectivity of where is the is the split going to be in the north half of the state or the the south half the uh, south half of the state for me i always look back now there are rare exceptions when you get to the state championship game that there are some classic games but i always feel the storylines are the games that occur along the tournament trail, so to speak, a second round game or a quarterfinal game where it's played at a high school venue and not the cavernous yeah. Memorial stadium where I think you lose some of the luster of don't, I'm not saying that that lessens a state championship, but I, I think the vibe of small school settings where two local crowds and it's a local game and it's a playoff game and it's a do or die to get to the next round. There's something about that. And even if it happens early, I still think that is something that is the beauty of interscholastic athletics. I, I see your point. I get it. I, I do appreciate the atmosphere when it's, you know, at a, at a high school venue, but, a but it's been, so long where the North has been so top heavy that it just seems like you're missing out on some potential great matchups, some true state championship matchups down the way, Jim, you were probably on site for the greatest local state championship of all time, Rockridge and Alito. That, that game will never happen in a state championship again. And come on, you were there. That had to have been an all time amazing game. Oh yeah. There's no question about that. I mean, I, I don't dispute that fact that, you know, one through 32, but you can still go one through 32 and those matchups still could not happen just because yeah. it's yeah. the tournament trail. And then people will be mad by the same thing. They'll be saying, uh, boy, I wish it would have been one, one through 16. So we could have played that game. So those two teams could have played. It's always, it always works out that way. Just like the dumb public school, private school uh, issue where I hear people say, well, we want, separate uh state championships no you don't because then the year you win you're gonna say man i wish we would have played rockford lutheran well no yep. you wanted a separate yep. uh separate state tournament series i'll never ever favor something like that i'm i'm with uh, you never would ever favor something like that i don't know what the the answer is with the private public debate but it sure in the heck isn't to say we're gonna have separate state championship series I think it needs to be said that a lot of people criticize the IHSA. I think that compared to a lot of states around us, they've been pretty progressive 
about trying to level the field over the years. Here's what added- and this is Brian. I know Brian Stocking will agree with me on this. I thought the best way the IHSA handled football was football enrollment, that it's based on basically kind of the average enrollment of your opponent or your enrollment, which is ever larger. And I think that 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 plays into the factor of who's your competition, what is your competition, and if you're a, a parochial school that plays bigger schools, you yep. should have to play up in classification. I've never felt that way about Newman. Newman's always been a small school classification school. They played in small school conference. They should be a 1A or 2A school. Allman's played in a big school conference. I've always thought they had they should have had to play up because yeah. of their, their 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 schedule that they play. So I have I've always kind of thought that's the fairest way to do it. So we can talk about that for the next hour or I was, so. I was going to say quickly you know, I always agreed with that too. I thought that when the discussion was happening a few years ago, and it was interesting that I was texting with head coaches around the area and coaches that I thought would agree, public school head coaches that it would agree with that. And they quickly pointed out to me that they thought, nope, that if you go back to that model, that you'd inevitably find schools that would then try their best to schedule smaller schools in any non-conference game they could and that the, the the numbers would get skewed again so i hadn't thought about it that way but it was an interesting well, perspective but that's that, then that that's the same thing then it, it, the same then you can say to the same coaches who you schedule on the open date then if you're a public school then you, you're gonna you're gonna schedule a quality opponent where uh this this team was a quarter finalist last year in 6a or there's a two and seven team from last year that's a little bit less in enrollment. Who who are they gonna play? Yeah, they're gonna play two and seventeen. You I know, agree with a lot of what is. I agree with a lot of what Jim said, and Greg, I think that you're talking a lot along the same lines. Um, what I think maybe the state should think about doing is, at before this year begins, and every two years, say these teams are gonna be in eight a. These teams are in 7A. These teams are in 6A. Greg, you might get a four and five a team where they get in four and five, where maybe a five and four or six and three team in a different class is out. But that's what they do in Iowa. So that way, because I know Moline and UT are not going to be playing nine game, did not play a nine game schedule because they couldn't find an opponent because a lot of teams don't want to play a 7A school because it's going to jack up their enrollment figures and their opponents' opponent enrollment figures. And so they don't want to play a Moline or a UT when maybe they could. And it'd be a very good, it'd be a very interesting game, I think. I mean, I cried, Mo, I cried Geneseo and Mendota for, for stepping up and playing each other. I cried Rocky and Newman and uh, Sterling and Princeton for saying, we're going to, even though the enrollments are a little skewed, we're going we're gonna to play those games because we want our kids to have a nine game schedule. Yeah. I think their hand was kind of forced a little bit, but I see your point. Yeah. Mitch, you got, you got anything to add to all this? Otherwise Mitch, we will Mitch get is into tired, the- isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> no, look, I, I want to get back to Riverdale because we haven't talked about them in, in like three minutes. So just real quick <laughs> uh, in soccer tonight, Aiden Sanzibal had three more goals and the Riverdale Jim Rams Thor! now have uh their first winning season since 04. So there's right. your stock. Oh, can I tell you, you, can I say, say something about Riverdale again now too? This is <laughs> yeah. like, the, 
this is so the one the night Derek's doing, program. <laughs> well, the one night I was doing uh it was Rockridge Riverdale. And I mean Rockridge scored a bunch early and it was a Mercy Road game, but Riverdale then scored a couple of touchdowns like in the third quarter, and then they brought their PAT unit on. And I'm just like, it's a game that's out of reach. And then like the kid kicks the PAT and I'm like, holy smokes, who, who was that kid that kicked the ball to the moon? And they're like, Aiden Sensabaugh. I'm like, okay, wow, man. That was impressive to see that. Cause that thing's got a junior. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Really cool. All right, Mitch. NUIC Northwest upset Illini talk here. All right, I'll run through them real quick here. Dakota, 20 to nothing over Galena. Connor Matthews had 116 yards and a score. Jason Bowers had 65 and two scores. Uh, we talked about Dupac a little earlier, 46 to 14 winners over Fulton. They are now playoff automatic bound. Connor Hughes had a career high four rushing touchdowns for the Rivermen. Uh, Lee Wynn doing what Lee Wynn does, 46 to 6 over EPC. Gage Dunker had 219 yards for touchdowns. He is now over 3,000 for his career. Uh, Stockton, I think, can still get into the playoffs. 46 to 6 winners over West Carroll. And then you've got a good one in Forreston and uh, Gibson City, Melvin Sibley tomorrow. Uh, I was excited. So I went to Fulton, loved going to a game at Fulton High School. I was able to talk to, you know, your relative, you know, Coach Pat Lower. Always good to run into him. Such a good guy. Um, on the opposite side, I have not, in, in our years covering this podcast, now keep in mind, Duran Pecatonica is obviously a Rockford area school. So out of our Quad Cities coverage area, I've never seen them. I've never seen this Dupec Rivermen team. Never gotten highlights of them. Really good to meet coach Hoffman on the sidelines before the game and get some highlights of this team. This is a fun program to cover as they continue to build over the years. And, you know, they look good tonight. They got the job done in a, you know, wet, you know, rain covered uh, Fulton high school, but um, Connor Hughes, Mitch, I'm not sure. Have we, we haven't said the name Connor Hughes very much. It's, it's interesting to see this late in the year, a new name popping up for this Riverman team. Yeah, I, I, if you were there, was were they throwing the ball? Was was Hoffman throwing it all, or was the conditions kind of limiting them to run the ball tonight? They threw a little bit, um, and that kind of set them up. They'd throw the ball a little bit downfield, not too far down. I mean, not big passing plays, but it kind of, you know, a couple here and there would set them up, and they were running when they got near the goal line. So um, also credit to um, the defense. Had a huge pick or a huge interception uh, Williams, number two, Drew Williams. Is that the name? I think so. I think they, they, I think they had a couple picks tonight. So, yeah, their defense played well. Yeah. So, good job by Dupec getting the win there. Obviously, Lena Winslow continues to get the job done. Mitch, we're on that collision course with Lena Winslow and Forreston, which we continue to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think and we talked about a little bit last week that despite them both being undefeated, we still feel like, Lee win is on a different tier just because we in some of Forreston's wins we haven't really been too too impressed they haven't been running away from opponents the same way Lee win does so I think tomorrow with their game against GCMS will be a good a good contest uh GCMS is five and one yep um and then I, I don't remember who Forreston has a really tough ending to their 
to their season. I don't remember who they play in week eight. They might play Dupec in week eight, but then Morrison's yeah, at Dupec in week eight. So yeah. yeah. So then yep. they, they play with Lee Wynn. So yeah, I mean, this is always how the NUIC gets here late. There always seem to be really tough matchups in week seven, eight, and nine. And this year is no different. You win again, had a game where they did not throw a pass, but did not attempt to pass. And right. I think, I think I saw the stat was they're one for one in passing in all the, in all seven games. Yeah. Um, and it was a touchdown, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yes. figure. Um, but, but with their win tonight against EPC, they'd be in 46 to six, as you mentioned, this is their, they're six and two against EPC in their last eight meetings. And all six of those wins, they've allowed just one score by EPC in those in that game per game. So, you know, and this we, this know, one was a was a kickoff return because they Dunker scored the first no, I don't no Dunker didn't score the first one either way. EPC ran the kickback and uh the Panther defense held them to 49 yards the rest of the game. You know, we talk so much about Lee Wynn's offense and it is great, but their defense is also pretty stout. Yeah, there's not much that Lee Wynn doesn't do well. I, I don't even know if I have anything that I could say that they don't do well. That's not saying they can't get they can't get got one of these so weeks, but is it gonna be so who's it who's it gonna be Lee Wynn against Altoft Catholic? Lee Wynn against Bloomington Central Catholic? Nope. Lee Wynn against Westmer Warrior grad Brad Dixon and the Camp Point Central Panthers. That's Can Camp Point I'm Central get back there again? They're, they're on a roll. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're rolling down there. Now, I don't know what how the strength of that that conference is, but, you know, the the 1A dynamic is going to be really interesting if – I know I've you guys have been talking about that or some of the social media banter. If Bloomington Central Catholic drops down yeah. to 1A and you have them and uh, Altoff Catholic – and then where's Bloomington Central Catholic? Is the split going to be where they're going to be in the southern half of the state or they're going to be in the northern half of the state? See, that's the one thing I love about the 1 through 16 because it's very interesting to see where the split's going to be with those type of schools. And just like 2A with Maroa, where, are they going to be north this year or are they going to be south? That's a huge, huge issue, you know, where, where, the, where the split's going to be in the central part of the state. All right, Ty, we didn't get we didn't get your thoughts on the 16, 1 through 16. You with your dad, against your dad, I need to know. I'm against my dad. I <laughs> I they would prefer the 1 through 32 just because the one thing I do, which I do like the local aspect of teams playing each other, I do like that. But the thing I don't like about it is to me it feels like you it's the same teams you run into every year, you know what I mean? And I think the special thing about like the football playoffs, I know like in the other sports, like, you know, it's the regional where uh, that's how it's going to have to be. But the thing I like about football is you have to qualify for the playoffs, you know, and then from that, I think it gives you a chance to play somebody new that you have, you know, rarely or have maybe have never played before. I, that's why I would prefer the one versus 32. I know sometimes the travel could be bad, but I mean, it's a game on a Saturday, you know, I mean, it's, I don't think that's really as big of an issue as people make yeah, it out to well, be. and that to, to your defense, it's only a problem if you win. Right. Yeah. When people whine about travel, it's like, well, if you yeah. lose it, it's yeah. all for not. So, I mean, that's you know, Mitch, like a good student, you had your hand raised. What do you got? Yeah, a couple of things. So, to to Jim's point, uh, Camp Point Central, they're undefeated. They won sixty to nothing tonight. But also to Jim's point, their competition has not been that great. So it, it's hard to take a whole 
you know, a whole bunch of stock in that. Two, uh, Bloomington Central Catholic also won tonight. They are 7-0. and And you mentioned Merle Forsyth. They are the top team in 2A at the moment. They beat the sixth team in 3A in Williamsville. So um, wow. the, these teams in, in 1A and 2A, I think, are going to make for some pretty good brackets here in a couple weeks. Yeah. Well, let's let's wrap it up. Let's get into eight-man. Mitch, a bunch of uh, lopsided scores here. Let's run them down. Yeah, Amboy doesn't cover the spread uh, with a 68 nothing <laughs> win over AFC. Uh, <laughs> Ridgewood. River Ridge won 50 to 22 over Quest Academy. Uh, Polo was a 52 to 12 winner over Blue Ridge, and Ridgewood won 52 to 12 over West Prairie. Milledgeville goes to Pawnee tomorrow. Jim, I know you've caught a game. I know you've caught a game at the Cambridge Bowl this year. What are your thoughts on this uh, Coach Elder led Ridgewood team? They they played well last year, and they battled some really good teams this year. They're right in the mix. Oh yeah. And I felt bad because I, I must have been hit bad luck that night because they controlled that game and they basically had to they were playing polo the night I was there and they basically had the ball with a minute left to go and had a chance to, you know, basically kind of ice it and they ran a play, a kid fumbled and polo recovered and then they ran the one play touchdown pass to kind of win late because uh Ridgewood kind of controlled uh that game. And you didn't you didn't mention Jason Kirby's West Central Heat. Did they win tonight? Um, I'm looking up the scores right now. Oh, uh, Stock's got it. Here we go. West, West Central beat. They did. West Central beat Unity. Uh, Christian 68-24. A couple other eight-man games. Uh, FCW. Uh, Franklin. Frank Franklin. Cornell. Woodland. No. Fla- oh, 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 pause. Flanagan. Flanagan. The Falcons. Come on, get it right. Don't FCW. lie about what that FCL is. FCW, oh, FCW. beats BPC 15-14. And, and Orangeville defeats Rockford Christian Life 56-18. Um, one other, couple other notes. Um, LP, LaSalle Peru beat Ottawa tonight 24-19. The 124th meeting of those two rivals. And Dixon and Byron both won easily tonight. Next week, those two teams meet. They're both undefeated. All right. So did I ever tell you the story when Jason Kirby told me to shut up and listen on the post-game show? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I got to hear it. He did. It was uh, – he was coaching at Girard then. And I can't remember what it was, but he came up, and the kids played so hard, and they lost a close game, and he put his headset on. And before I asked him a question, he goes, you're just going to shut up and listen. You know, he meant it, and he meant it like the <laughs> – Best kind of way. But one of the funniest things, Jason Kirby, as we approach the one o'clock hour, I never had this. Two o'clock my... for Mitch. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, never, I never had this on my bucket list that on a Friday night at one o'clock, I'd be talking about high school uh, football with a bunch of guys in a chat room. <laughs> but anyway, so back in the day, Macomb uh, had two radio stations covering them. All right. So Jason Kirby, he was coaching at Sherrard at the time. And so the Macomb had two radio crews that in the visiting radio crew. So this was a game. It was Macomb would always sit in the middle. So I was sitting in the middle. And so this was a weird game where Sherrard was leading 21 to seven, like with a minute left to go in the first, second quarter. So they give up. a. So it went from 21 to seven to 28, 21 in like a minute 30 of actual game clock. 
So McCombs scored to make it like 21-14. They kick off late in the second quarter. The kid for Sherrard doesn't uh, fuel the the kick. So McComb recovers, and they punch it in like on a two-yard score. So it's 20-21-21 at halftime. And then the in, the opening kick of the third quarter, the kid houses it. So it goes from 21-7, like with a minute left to go in the second, to 28-21 early in the third and McComb eventually wins. So Kirby comes up on the post game show and he, he has a hat on and he, he puts, he turns his hat around like a catcher's hat, you know, and he puts the headset on and, and he just, he, he puts his head on the table, like down like this. <laughs> and I say something like, you know, a oh, good effort by, by McComb was clearly the better team coming in. That was, they were, they were the favorite. And I said, you know, kids, great effort, you know, bad stretch. And he, he, uh, he, he gets up off the uh, table with his head and he looks at me and he goes, Oh man, he goes, that was a high speed come apart. <laughs> and the, and the McComb, the McComb like radio guys are watching his body language and just like what he's doing. And just like, what in the world is going on with that? <laughs> but that's why I miss Kirby so much. Cause his post game, uh, 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 post-game conversations were so awesome. And I love that dude so much. And I'm so bummed that they're struggling at West Central. They've won three in a row. They're oh, three yeah, but four now. after that, do yeah. they still have a chance to get in? Or no? yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what their schedule is, but they're three and four. All right, I mean... come on, Kirby. You can do it, buddy. <laughs> and you know, on Kirby staff, so you, how, how weird is that on Kirby staff? You got a guy that has won six state titles. That's an assistant coach of the West Central eight-man football team in Jim Unruh. That's amazing. That's great. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, West Central plays next Saturday against Milford. So, you know, you could, you know, I'm sure you could talk to the boss and maybe cover that game. All right. <laughs> you, you we, got a new, we got a new boss now, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love, eight, I love eight-man football, by the way. It's I'm awesome. Glad, it's great. I think, and I will tell everybody this about the one thing that really sold it on me, too, is the guy that created the high school football playoffs, which would be John K. Elder. Yep. Who says, consequently, in youngsters all the time, uh, he is a, you know, he's an old school guy, but he will always tell you eight-man football is going to save small school football. And he's right. Eight-man football, I mean, the eight-man football is saving the culture of small school football. And I'm talking about those schools that are around 300 that want their identity. I still think that's pretty important, and uh, I think it's a sport of the future. I think there, yeah. I mean, there, there's something to be said about, you know, a team, a program like Anawan Weathersfield, right? They were way ahead of the game. I remember when they made the merger, when they announced they were going to co-op, and that was kind of before a lot of not a, there were co-ops that existed, but that was two pretty prominent programs that were coming together. And it seemed at the time, like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And, and they, they, I think credit to those programs, right? They saw the writing on the wall, kind of where they were, where they were going to fit in as far as enrollment wise, when they were separate. But on the flip side, I also look at a school like Milledgeville and like Polo and, you know, there was the writing on the wall that things weren't, they weren't going to be able to hang around very much longer and compete in the Northwest upstate Illini. And so rivals like 
Milledgeville and Polo talked about co-oping. And that just seemed so wrong. It just seemed so weird that, 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 that kind of combination. And so I think there's something to be said about both sides, right? Like Anawan Weathersfield's had a lot of success. Good for them for doing what they did when they made the move. But man, on the flip side, it's really cool to still have the Milledgeville missiles and the Polo Marcos playing football. You know, I, I think on both sides, it's really great. And the, the eight man game, you know, you look at Kyle Kampmeyer from NUICfootball.com. He's, he's embraced it. You know, he sees it out in his area. And I think he gets some criticism from some people that don't really understand, but he's really embraced it. He promotes it as much as everything else. And it's, it's been great. And then, you know, for Mitch and I, it's, it's one of the most exciting divisions of football conferences that we talk about every week. So, well, and I, and I just, as we wind down, the one thing I'll say, the one thing I want to leave on a positive high note. So when I was talking to coach Graves today in the post game, I, I said to him, I said, this is what I'm going to say about this game tonight. It's the spirit of competition. It's interscholastic athletics, the spirit of competition, two very good teams going at it mano a mano and leaving it all on the field. And he said, well, I said, what do you think about that? That was kind of my question. You know what he said? And I thought it was so great. He said, I'm just, I don't understand why more kids don't want to play. He said yeah. that I see kids in my school that don't want to be part of this emotional experience tonight. And he, he's right. I mean, I'm just, it's just, it's sometimes you just like the participation and the declining numbers. I mean, now if you can get 50 out on a roster from uh, nine through 12, you're like, man, we got a huge roster. Well, no, you, yeah. you don't anymore. And I just thought it was great that he said, he kind of said that in the, in that moment, like I've just, don't understand why more kids don't want to fuel this and be a part of this. So, and I agree. Mitch, before we wrap up, you got, you got anything? We'll go down the row. I'll give everybody a, you know, their, their last, their last shake here. Mitch, what do you got? No, I got nothing. I was looking, <laughs> I've been looking around at scores. Um, across the the state. Preface, there was, but there... the preface of this, Greg, is you can say, you, you can all say one more thing, but it can't be about Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I got nothing to add. I was just looking at scores across the state. So uh, I think I think that's what we're going to do on Tuesday, right, Greg? We're going to look at some maybe some playoff teams that maybe we haven't talked about yet, just kind of preparing to maybe some future opponents. Yeah, I think looking ahead, come our regular, you know, regular episode on Tuesday, we'll talk about some teams maybe from outside of our area that we think that teams from inside of our area need to watch out for. So I, I, we'll have to do a little bit of homework this weekend, Mitch, but we can handle that. All right. Jim, I'm going to go to you. What I want to ask is how cool is it to be sitting in the downtown Alito studios at 1.09 AM with someone just walked by from one of the bars and looked at us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There are bars in Alito. If you can believe that there's three. (laughs) It's no, it's no tab and bevs anymore. Right. That's right. No. Anyway, I've heard legend of, you know, the old, the old days, but Jim, how cool is it to be sitting in a WRMJ studio with your son uh, talking high school football? I mean, the, the dynamic and the way you guys, you know, have things rolling there. It's really cool. It's gotta be fun for you. Yeah. Well, and it is, it's a great opportunity and great experience. And it all, uh, uh, I mean, it all circles back to the, 
I'll say the owner and I'll always say the owner, but that's the, I'll say the founder of the right. radio station that put this thing. It, he, just so everybody knows the the guy that put it on the map and the guy that is WRMJ is John Hoshite. It ain't nobody else. So, you know, even though there's new ownership or whatever, it's John Hoshite and it will always be John Hoshite. My, uh, uh, status in this business is because of him and i'll say my son's status in this business is because of john hoshite so i mean i think we're both beneficiaries of that so i'm glad he's he wants to be part of the business and uh he understands what the mission of local radio is so it's not that really complicated it's like you go out and you cover local stuff and do local games it's not rocket science yeah. so to speak but some stations think it apparently is. Uh, you go out and you have Jason Kirby tell you to shut up and listen, right, and you right. go from there. So, no. So, so Ty, tell me, tell me your final thoughts. Give me, you know, give me your, give me your recap here. Um, you know, I like tonight. Just the game I was at. It was so much fun, and and like Sherrard Orion is a fun rivalry. And earlier in the season, I got to experience that great Sherrard Rock Ridge game too. And we talk about it all the time. And you know, with where we're located and with you know the schools and area we cover, I we talked about it earlier. But I'm just excited for Mercer County to get in the track next year. It's going to be so much fun when they were playing Mercer or when they were playing Rock Ridge and Sherrard Orion and Monmouth Roseville. It'll be uh, that'll be really fun. But looking at this year specifically, like the last two weeks of the season are always exciting. And there's a lot like I, I've been around Gerard all year and I just am super excited that they're into week eight now and they're still alive for a playoff spot. You, you know, it's just been really fun to watch that program over the past. You know, I mean, what, two years ago in Coach Johnson's first year, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, they lost every game by more than 50 points all nine games they lost by more than 50 and it was basically these same kids that are playing now that were playing as freshmen and sophomores and now you know a couple years later the strides they've made has, has been really fun to watch and now they're three and four and got a great you know very memorable win tonight against a rival that they haven't beaten in a long time so uh the next two weeks will be fun for them i can't wait for the next couple of weeks for sherard that's my final thought yeah <laughs> Thank you so much to the guys from WRMJ for being here. Listen to sports line in the morning. I mean, you guys going to sleep at the station and just like get right up and do this or the couch over there. <laughs> We're going to call Brian stocking and Greg Armstrong and the rest of the panel in and say, you want to be on sports line tomorrow yeah. morning at night. I'll, hey, I'll be, I'll be awake. I'll go. I got hey, kids. Hey, that I'll are... be on my way to Ames. <laughs> yeah. I'll be awake. I have kids that'll wake me up, but uh, I love it. Everybody. If you're listening to this, listen to WRMJ, listen to Sportsline. It's a tradition since 1979. Do I got that right? That's right. That's when the station signed on the first ever game that was broadcast uh, on WRMJ. Do you know this stocking or not? Yeah, uh, he's no, massively right. He's writing the notes I down. I just saw him grab his He's going to call the wild man at Tajok and he's going to say, Hey, Dan Burrish. You're like, yeah. Hey, you know what the first ever game was on WRMJ and Alito and Burrish is going to say, what's that? And you're going to say, Alito Galva. Alito Galva is the answer. That's who, is the, who is the greatest basketball player ever at Galva? Uh, was it Rich Paul? Stocking. Yeah. Rich Paul. Yeah. That's what I said. That's awesome. I love it. 
What do you got? What do you got, Ty? I just want to, I want to be the one to ask um, Stocking what his final thought is. So what, what do you got for us? Okay. Well, my final thought is so grateful, so thankful that there's stations like WRMJ that put the effort and emphasis on the local coverage. I mean, every, you know, you, people have gone, people, hold on. Oh, you're getting the phone call. Where are you at? Where are you at? Time to get home. Okay. But anyway, um, the thing is, we're so thankful that WRMJ covers local athletics. There's a lot of stations and a lot of areas that now don't. And people out in the Alito area get to listen to WRMJ. They can listen. They can feel like they were back in the, when they were a little kid, listening to the games on the radio, when they were in high school on the, on the bus, when, you know, when they were growing up. You know, they get to, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition and they do such a good job in covering. A wise man, a wise man named Nick Bull let, <laughs> led me to WRMJ years ago. An Alito graduate, a proud Alito Green Dragon, showed me the way and introduced me to WRMJ years ago, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Stock, what I need you to do before we wrap this episode up, because you're the only man that can do it, this is a football podcast. I need a Dit Buckus eulogy before we wrap this up. Oh, Give nice. me... Give That'll me the, nice. you know, the all time, the, the best, the best of the best wrap up his amazing career, his amazing life in football. This will be very heartfelt. With Dick Buckus passing, you see the end of an era. Dick Buckus was one of the hardest hitters I've ever seen on NFL films. I mean, you see those tackles where he just grabs guys and throws them right to the ground. I mean, and he was a very good athlete. He, he had a number of interceptions and a number of uh, forced fu uh, recovered fumbles. There's a clip of him playing Houston as last year, and he intercepts the pass and he waves the ball at the receiver as he's as he after he intercepted it. And I mean, he was just one of those players. It's a shame that they could never get to the playoffs under Buckus. And um, Paul Horning said he was like he was uh, Buckus played like. You were from his old neighborhood, and you he wanted to settle a score with you. And, you know, to hear the great stories from Paul Horning, you know, he talks about when Hallis goes and knocks on the door, and the equipment man lets him in and says, yes, coach. And he goes, I need to talk, talk with Coach Lombardi. It's very urgent. Five minutes before the game, and Coach goes, yes, uh, Coach Hallis, can I help you? And he goes, Vince, I just want you to know you better have your team ready today because we're going to kick your – and Buckus was one of those players that could do it. The monsters of the midway when the bears were the bears. And, you know, he actually caught two singletons, which were one point conversions back in the day um, before they went to the two point, any conversion, whether it was run, pass, kick was one point. And he caught two singletons, one to beat Washington, 16, 15, 71. And one when they routed Philadelphia uh, in 72, 21 to 12, in which there were three interceptions thrown by three different Eagle quarterbacks. I don't know if I've ever heard the phrase singleton. So they, I mean, referred, referring to an extra point. So there you go. Uh, Stock, I heard NFL films, uh, old clip today say that Dick Budkiss was Moby Dick in a fishbowl. Yeah. So there you go. And All right. he was, he was on uh, for years. Lion fans claimed him 
for the death of Charlie Sanders, who died of a heart attack. And Buckus was there, but he did not hit him. He saw Sanders go down, and he waved to the medics, hey, you got to come and help this guy because he just fell to the ground. And that was in 71. Stock, we don't want to dive into the negative. We want to, we want to stay a, positive I, here on the podcast. I was. I was being positive. Okay. All right. All right, boys. I ever saw. There you go. I needed that. That's it. We're, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I think, uh, Stock, you give us your signature rap and we're out of here. So long, everybody. <laughs>